Well, I think on our end, right, the question really is how long, how long has that application sat there? Because, you know, and we've looked at this kind of reporting prior to the last couple of years, you, a person could apply and they reasonably, reasonably expected that you would get back to them in two to three days. Now they're expecting within 24 hours. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't responded to them within 24 hours and acknowledge that you've received their application and that you're interested, they take that as you're not interested. So I'm moving on and I'm applying for a ton more jobs, which so then if we're coming back two or three days later and we're reaching out and setting up an interview, they might say yes, but they might have already interviewed with someone else. And so they're really just kind of going through the motions with us. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, president of Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. And this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever you get your podcast. We're doing something a little different this week. I am attending the HR Southwest Conference here in beautiful Fort Worth, Texas. This is the Texas Sherm State Conference, and they sold out this year at 1,300, I've been corrected already, registrants. And although I'm here attending sessions, I presented two sessions, one yesterday on uh, a roundtable on AI and demoed mid-journey, chat GPT, and uh, Claude AI uh, to some pretty uh, shocked HR professionals who had never played with those tools before. And today I had a regular presentation on the ethics of using AI in the HR realm. But it's the end of the month and the show must go on. So we have to talk about HR news. And joining me today to talk about some hot issues in HR this month is my friend, Roseanne Garza. Roseanne is the Chief Human Resources Officer for Kirby Lane Cafe, the iconic restaurant chain based in Austin with 10 uh, restaurants around San Antonio, Austin, and Central Texas. And if you've not ha- gone there for pancakes and you're in Central Texas, make the trip. But she is also the state director for Texas Sherm, the fellowship of 31 Sherm chapters across the state of Texas, all the way from Houston to El Paso and Amarillo down to what's farthest south? Brownsville. Brownsville. So as far south as you can go and still be in Texas. And so those 31 chapters cooperate to create uh, Texas Sherm, which is just how the chapters work together to create programming and support one another and take stuff back to their communities to improve how we do HR across the state of Texas. So, and I'll say Roseanne is a good friend. So thanks for joining me, Roseanne. Happy to be here, Mike. Thank you so much. So AI is what I've been talking about and it's still a hot topic. It's been a hot topic all year. Really should have been a hot topic all along because we've been putting AI in applicant tracking systems and comp systems and all kinds of stuff for a long time. But now with ChatGPT and all that, people are getting really you know excited about it. It's kind of people are waking up to it. There was a in, indeed looked at what fifty five million job postings and looked at what the job re- description requirements were and figured out how many of those job position tasks could be outsourced to AI. 
and they determined that 20% of jobs were at high risk for be, being eliminated by AI. Um, is AI going to, you know, is it Skynet? Are we all going to lose our jobs to the robots? What's your take? Well, I think, you know, it's interesting. I think it depends what industry you're in, what type of job that you do. I think that there is definitely significant risk for certain roles. Um, but when I look at, for example, Kirby Lane, there are things that our team does and that we teach them to do that we could never replace with AI, right? So when I'm talking about taking you know care of our guests making sure that they have what they need i don't think that that's something that ai is gonna you know come and take over and i think that's what we saw in this article from indeed right which was really that these you know truck drivers taxi drivers things of that nature they can't be replaced so um but i do think i use some ai in my job descriptions and i use it to kind of help me in writing. So um, I think we're going to see more and more of that in the years to come. Yeah. You know, the Kirby Lane is unique, uh, you know, because it's a, it's a destination restaurant. It's not fast food. Um, I remember the first time we were in, uh, I saw an automated kiosk in a McDonald's when we were in Europe a few years ago. And you didn't have to talk to a single person to get your food, which is good because I don't speak French. And um, but uh, I can see that kind of service industry more and more getting whittled away. Where you're, it's like self checkout. People still get mad about self checkout, right? But um, you know, with what the margins are in grocery, it makes sense from their point of view uh, to to do that. I don't want to pay three percent more for my bananas. And so I think as wages continue to rise, those retail fast food kind of restaurants like, you know, the other end of the spectrum from y'all are going to do more of it. But some, but like where you need empathy, where you've got an unhappy customer, uh, which Kirby Lane never has, but a customer with some special request, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm gluten and granola allergen, you know, blah, 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 all this stuff and they have a question, then you don't ask that question at McDonald's. You know, if you eat McDonald's, you're going to get what they give you, right? But someplace like Kirby Lane, where you have to talk to a person, you get the opportunity to talk to a person and they greet you and you feel good. It's, you know, I love a restaurant where you walk in, even um, uh, the coffee shop that I go to here locally, you walk in and somebody is within two seconds going to say, hey, good morning. And that's, you're not a robot saying, hey, good morning, isn't going to be the same, right? So. I can totally see that kind of stuff. Now, I was surprised when it said that drivers and things like that, maybe not in the near term, but we're already talking about automated vehicles. Right. And that's what I was going to say. I mean, even in Austin, which obviously is where I live, and Austin has so much tech, um, we see that where you've got, especially in the downtown area, robots delivering food rather than the third-party delivery services getting in there with their car. And to me, that's incredibly interesting. But again, that's an area that's very concentrated. So that makes sense. If you're talking about a suburb, I don't think that some suburbs going to be going down a country road trying to take someone their pizza. But maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, well, and you've got drones. But as soon as the as the crows in Texas realize there's pizza in that box, the, <laughs> you know, the drones are going to be in trouble too. And so I think that's but, you know, we're going to see more and more companies are going to try to figure out ways to, to replace that, that personal service. Um, and I think that's, those are the jobs though, whether 
it's, uh, you know, wait staff in a restaurant or a concierge or somebody who's an HR job. I mean, I think a lot of your transactional HR people may be in trouble. Um, you know, we may not, I, you know, I'm always saying you're not going to lose your job to AI, but you're going to lose your job to somebody using AI. Right. And so maybe we've got three HR assistants doing transactional processing all day long. Maybe we get technology, whether it's generative AI or something's built into our applicant tracking system so we can go through our applicants and, and, and you know, faster scheduling interviews faster, all those things. Maybe we get rid of two of those three assistants. Well, and that's a thing that we're already seeing with applicant tracking systems, right? Over just the last couple of years, you're seeing where we've moved to QR codes, we've you know moved to text, you know, interview scheduling. We've moved, you know, already the needle is moving in that direction of how do we streamline this process as much as possible and remove any sort of human interaction or any sort of human error, right? And so you, as the user on the back end, kind of you know saying, here's when we can interview, and then. Basically, this AI is doing all the work for you and you just show up and you do the interviews. So we're already seeing that kind of in our industry where it's being used for applicant tracking. Um, and it's really streamlining the process. It's making it easier and it's freeing up our management to be able to do what we want them to do, which is take care of the guest and take care of the team. And, you know, we hear about candidate experience all the time. And I think there are folks, some people who say, well, the candidate experience is too generalized or commoditized if you automate everything. But quite honestly, unless you're actively going out and finding passive candidates, I'm not sure that that custom initial touch or that uh, talking to a human when you're scheduling for an interview matters that much to the candidate. I think maybe the candidate experience is improved if it's all automated. And maybe we'll get to the point where I'll have my bot call your bot and and they will schedule things and all those things will just happen and we won't have to have these, you know, all the back as much back and forth, leave you a voicemail, wait for me to call you back. Well, and, and who listens to voicemails? I mean, that's I, part. I'm I, that guy. Well, I'm no, I mean, I listen to them too, yeah. but I think when I look at our demographic of who's working with us, right, they don't, they're like, you, you called me? Like, why are you? You know, yeah. why is the phone ringing? What happened? What's wrong? And so I think as we continue to have these generations in the workforce, that they're not used to that human interaction as much because they've really spent so much time with technology and they're so comfortable with it. So it's very natural, I think, for them to kind of think about it in that way. Um, I don't think that it bothers them if it's not a human, but maybe I'm wrong. Again, I'm going to say that a couple of times throughout the podcast, but yeah, uh, we'll, we'll come back and listen to it in five years and yeah. find out. But but my own kids, you know, they would much rather I text them. They will not. And unless they need money, they don't answer the phone when I call. They let it go to voicemail and they'll text me back. To, What's up? And it's annoying, but that's that generation. And they kind of consider it rude to pick up the phone and just call somebody unannounced. Yeah. It's like showing up at their front door and knocking on the door. The other thing that they said in this Indeed thing was that those jobs that are highly exposed that, you know, that are just really routine based roles. They're there. Uh, but 50, what was it? Um, gen I, gen, generative AI on about half of the jobs can do 50 to 80% of the roles. And I think that's where we're really going to see 
the efficiencies that people are really looking for achieved is what can I do to make my job easier or more efficient so I can spend more time on the things that take me thinking or creating and all of that. But one of the things that came up in, in the ethical conversation I had earlier is what do we do about those people who are tab A and slot A type workers, you know, these, you know, who, who do the same task over and over and over and it can get automated. Well, and they love it. Yeah. And they love it. That's what, yeah. And, um, but if we start eliminating that job, um, what's the employer's responsibility? You know, if I know, and you know, we're going to implement this system and as we train this system, we'll be able to eliminate three of these HR admin jobs, let's say, what's the employer's responsibility? You know, what would you tell an employer? What would you think at, uh, you know, in your organization, how do you, what's your responsibility about preparing those people or? Well, I think it's a conversation that you start with before you even decide to go in that direction, right? Like what is the end goal here? Are we wanting to cut labor? Are we wanting to, you know, go more, um, AI driven or, you know, like, is, is this something where we can go that direction, but then hang on to that person and upskill them? Is there a way to put them in another role that they would still be successful at? That we wouldn't need replacement beyond that. I mean, that's a really tough conversation. I know what Kirby Lane would do. I mean, we would upskill, um, we're big on that. Right. So we would make sure that this person continues to have a job and continues to be part of our family. So, um, I think, the human aspect of it for us is always still going to come into consideration. And y'all, I would guess just like so many restaurants that I know here in Fort Worth uh, and so many other organizations that hire like that frontline labor are, I'm guessing y'all are probably have the same problem. You're struggling to, to get enough people who want to do that job. Um, and so, um, it, you know, it may be that we can free people up from, you know, ordering supplies or doing other things and put them into direct customer service roles, or if that's what they're built for. Um, I'm, you know, and I think that the training and planning ahead, uh, is going to be really key. I, it's, you know, people running out and, you know, early adopters just jump on stuff and, and don't ever always think through the process. And so maybe we'll learn more from how, other companies kind of fumble that ball. Um, but on the, you know, y'all's main delivery is, is on the food side, but you know, y'all, you know, like any other company, you've got accounting, HR and, uh, property management. I imagine that's a big part of your, your stuff. So, um, there's going to be stuff that, that we need to take care of. And I think employers ignoring it is going to, they're going to end up uncompetitive. Well, it's not going away, right. right? Like I don't view this as something that is going to be a fad or it's going to come in for, you know, a year or two years and only certain industries or people are going to consider it. I do think it is something that is going to continue to grow with time. And so you've got to start thinking about how does it impact me? How do we use it? How do we not use it? Um, what's our, you know, considerations around it? Um, are there threats from it? Um, so I think, you know, we're going to have to continue to have that conversation and see what continues to come out. I mean, I can think of a ton, you know, in my time, I've been at Kirby Lane 17 years. It's crazy. They hired me when I was 12, I promise. Um, but I've been there so long and 
in just that amount of time to see the amount of changes in technology, in restaurant technology, it, it's, it blows my mind, right? And whether it's anything from like building and maintenance to, you know, managing all of our vendors. And, you know, we are at the point now where if we have an equip, a piece of equipment that needs servicing, literally we just scan a barcode and that, um, that does everything for us, sends it over to the vendor that's already in the system and they know that they're coming and we get an email when they'll be there. Yeah. And so that's, that's 15 minutes or an hour of labor just saved right there. And so, and I think that's the thing is AI is just another kind of technology. Uh, and I think, I think that's, you know, people wouldn't be freaking out if it was just, if we described it that way, yeah, well, this is this, you scan this barcode and, and it contacts the vendor and they know that they, they're good. But when we call it artificial intelligence, and again, we, you know, we've all seen Terminator and we've seen all these things and we just assume it's, it's going to be the end of the world. But just like the, uh, you know, the automobile, you know, put buggy whip makers, you know, out of, out of, business, there's going to be change and there's going to be upheaval. And hopefully as business leaders, we figure out ways to help plan for that, help people prepare for it. You know, I don't, I don't have high anticipation that the government's going to do a good job of that. Uh, you know, um, I'm on, on the workforce development board here in Tarrant County. I've got a lot of faith that public private partnerships might work and in, in preparing for some of that. But I think the change, the, the rate of pace, the pace of change is, is so fast now that uh, we may not be some companies may be caught flat-footed or some employees may be caught flat-footed uh, when that happens, but, but we'll see. So it's a, it's a fun topic. And I think here um, of the probably 200 people I spoke to in my two sessions, uh, there were a lot of people just shocked by what you could do, uh, you know, generating uh, drafts, not final, not final editions, but drafts of, employment paperwork or offer letters or job descriptions and job postings. But uh, people were surprised by that. But I think uh, there are tools that are there and people are going to have to, we, if we're going to be competitive, we got to figure out how to embrace them and, and still be humane, keep the yeah. human resources. I agree with that. So I've got a friend here in, uh, in the DFW area who took her restaurant to completely carry out and catering only because she couldn't hire employees, frontline workers. And we've talked about it recently on another episode about the challenges of hiring frontline workers, but the, um, there was a survey um, done by Gartner that said half of candidates have accepted a job and then reneged on it. And that's in the last year and a half, I think it was. So, and I'm hearing that from all the time. They're getting ghosted uh, by by applicants. Employers say, you know, we made the offer. Um, does that did that number half up that you know that number of 0.5? Did that surprise you? Um, it didn't surprise me. It did. I mean, I think that we're seeing the same trend, right? Where again, part of the reason why we're trying to streamline the process is that we do have people that don't show up for the interviews or that accept the job and then don't come in for the orientation or the first day of training. And what we've really tried to push to our team is that it's not, 
it, it needs to be the quickest process possible for that person. And it also needs to be, you know, you, they need to be meeting who is their supervisor. You got to try to get them as engaged as possible as soon as possible, in my opinion. And then it's not just about that first, you know, day. It's about that first two weeks. It's about that first 30 days. How do you make them feel special? How do you make them feel like this is their place so that they don't then disappear? What does that look like at Kirby Lane? How do y'all, how do you onboard somebody so that they really feel like a, a Kirby Laner? Or what, do y'all have a term? Do you have a term for a, a team member like that or? Kirby Laner? I mean, I, that, I don't, I'm like just a curbster. A curbster? Oh, okay. Um, but basically, I mean, they meet their manager right away, right? Um, and then we've got uh, things that we do to keep them engaged. And so some of that is just like, hey, how do you like to be rewarded? Because I think some people really enjoy the outward, like, you did a great job today. And some people prefer it written. And some people really just don't need to know. Um, and so it's really about fine tuning kind of that onboarding process for them and them coming into the system. And then they tell us what's your favorite stuff. Do you, when it's your birthday, do you want a cake? Do you not want to talk about your birthday? Mm -hmm. Um, do you want a card, right? Service anniversaries is the same thing. What would be a valuable service anniversary gift to you? So we really try to take it and make it as personal per person as possible. Um, and so we're doing that from day one. And that's everything from asking them, what's your favorite foods to what do you hate? What kind of rewards do you like? Uh, and we also do a lot of mentoring within the, within Kirby Lane. So they all get assigned to kind of what is a social group, really, so that they can then make friends with their coworkers. Because again, it's, it's really just their own little internal networking program so that they can uh, make friends and stick around and not leave. And I think we've had really great success with that. You know, we've got... Basically, if we can get them to stay for longer than 90 days, they typically stay 18 months. Um, but we've got to get to that 90 day first. That service industry, that's a big mm -hmm. number too. It is a big number. And I'm, you know, I'm proud of us. They work, the team works really, really hard. You know, I'm not the one in the restaurant every day. So it's really just about giving them the tools and supporting them and teaching them how to get their team members engaged. Okay. You're collecting things, you know, talking to them about what their favorite food is or how they like to be incentivized or rewarded, recognized. Is that a database that HR is keeping, or is that something that the that their direct supervisor is keeping track of? How does is how how, how do you formalize? It's that? a database that they all add to. Really? Uh huh. And because the other thing is, is we allow team members to work at multiple locations. So your home store might be, you know. South Lamar store number two, but you might also pick up shifts at store number four, which is UT. Right. So when you're at that location, or if you transfer to that location, how do they know what you need? Wow. So, so you've, you've built that whole system and I'm going to give you all the credit. I did personally uh, me, yeah. just me with AI. Yeah. I did it. Well, but I mean, that's a, that's a, a callback, but that's, that is something that AI obviously could really help. Uh, you know, you're getting this person and here's these data points that have come in and here's what you need to know. Cause this person's showing up to this morning at nine o'clock to, to fill this shift. Um, I can see where something like AI that can, abstract that data quickly and make it make it make it sense to a, a shift manager would be would be valuable but you're collecting all that data that's really interesting because that's a real deep granular level of data to keep about your employees where i mean quite honestly in corporate america there are a lot of frontline supervisors who don't know whether this employee is married or not right that's that's really interesting and let's take a quick break 
Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for three quarters of a recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Research Credits. Then select episode 119 and enter the keyword Kirby. That's K-E-R. B-E-Y. And if you're looking for even more recertification credit, check out the webinars page at imperativeinfo.com. And now back to my conversation with Roseanne Garza. So that's after you get them on board. Mm -hmm. Um, What about, what are you doing on the site about just, they've accepted the offer. How do you keep them engaged till their start date? You know, um, I, I would guess that on the restaurant side, they're pretty, you're not giving, they're not giving two weeks notice usually or something like that. But how do you keep them engaged even on the corporate side or whatever before they get on board so that they don't accept? Because uh, the Indeed thing said that they were getting other job offers or they just decided they it wasn't a work-life balance, which is I'm getting really tired of hearing about. Um, but, you know, they, 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 they just got cold feet. Basically, how, what are you doing to keep them engaged before they even start? Well, I think for us, it's, you know, from the beginning, you know, if you're hired, you can most likely start tomorrow if you want to start tomorrow. If you're in one of the restaurants, when you're in our office, we're seeing that same problem, right? We recently were hiring for an accounts payable position. And that was one of those things where we had to kind of light a fire. And all I did all the back end work. But then I had that hiring manager, the person whoever's going to supervise that they did all of the legwork. And so from the get go, every candidate was meeting whoever their boss was, they weren't going through me. Um, And that was our way to try to streamline it so that they're like, okay, well, I've met you and I like you. And we've gone through this process together. Instead of saying, okay, well, I've gone through one or two rounds of interviews with HR, or I've had a phone call with HR, and now I'm going to go meet my boss and we're not going to work. I don't like that person. And so we really try to like introduce that person as soon as possible and hire them, you know, as, as quickly as we can. Uh, and we, what we honestly found, it was interesting. We tried to bring a lot of our office in and specifically with this role, we were like, okay, whoever we hire in this new AP role is going to be in the office. And we very quickly learned we got to pivot. Mm. That's not going to work. So we're doing an 80-20, right? And so I think we're seeing candidates still have a lot of control over what it is that they perceive to be a value. And we're doing our best to try to meet them there. Yeah. And I, I'm still seeing, I think, too many. I mean, we've proven that remote or at least hybrid is doable. And I'm, I'm still seeing a lot of employers who didn't, ha- you know, and I know you, so I know there's good performance management around how everything gets done. But you know, managers who manage by walking around, which is an 80s term that didn't mean what they, you know, it meant manage by knowing what's going on with your employees on a regular basis and staying in contact. And that's, it didn't mean be looking over their shoulders, but a lot of most managers who think they're managing by walking around thought it meant just, you know, look busy, make sure everybody looks busy. And, And so, but those, those organizations, I think are, still trying to drag people back because either they don't have the productivity or they don't they don't have a sense that they're productive because they don't have good measurements and so trying to get people to 
to come back in. They're, they're, they're struggling. And there are people, I mean, I think you're saying young people want to come back in the office. Right. They're realizing they need the mentorship or they want the relationships and things like that. And there's probably a better argument if I'm early in my career that I need that and that I need to be around that. But if I'm an accounts, you know, you know, an accounting person at some level in the organization, I've been there for a long time. Uh, it's probably easier for me to be in 20% out, you know, 80%. Um, did I do that math? Okay. See, yeah. I could be an accounting person. I can do math. <laughs> 80 and 20 is a hundred. So the, I mean, I but, feel like I just saw rain man. That was like a moment. <laughs> exactly. Flash. Yeah. And so I, well, anytime I, if it's got numbers attached that I'm, I'm usually in trouble, but the, so we we're getting to that, that point where I think some organizations are just saying, you know, you've got to come in. And like you said, you, y'all had to pivot, which is kind of interesting because um, I wouldn't accounts payable is not a job that I would have thought would be easily done remote. Somebody's got to accept, get those those documents in, you know, I'm sure you still get a lot of junk in the mail and bills in the mail and a lot of paper. So that's got to get processed. So how, you know, what was your process in deciding we're going to have to go hybrid and here's how we're going to do that job? Well, I think again, right. We're talking about technology, right? I know that's, we've moved on from that topic, but it's still coming up. And the sense of, you know, we're 10 locations kind of spread out through all of central Texas. And so, having those invoices be a physical piece of paper. I mean, that was something that we had to come to terms with years ago, that that wasn't the best system. And so we had kind of already set it up that an AP, you know, person could be remote. That wasn't the goal. The you goal, went paperless. Well, right. The goal was to go paperless. And then that made their job that much easier um, and all the systems that are in place. So the, the 20% when they're in, they're printing physical checks. That's why they're there. Otherwise, the rest of the job can be done remotely and their supervisor can check it all remotely because it's all within this one system and program. So the reason they come down is literally to pick up whatever physical you know, mail has come in um, and to print physical checks to mail out. That's it. So they, they pick up the physical mail and take it back home if they, and scan it there mm -hmm. into your document management system? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we don't get a ton of bills through the mail either because years ago we said, hey, we want to go paperless. We want to go ACH in paying as many of our bills as possible to also cut down on that so that that person can do other, you know, tasks. Yeah. So that's, and we, we went paperless in 2010, I think. I think I, 2009, Great Recession came along and like it happened two weeks after I spent an ungodly amount of money on a document management system and said that I sat on this, un, you know, that sat on a server and we did nothing with uh, for uh, a good bit of time. But, uh, but now, I mean, if, if, and my employees at that time were not thrilled with the, you know, going paperless and it was too much work, they wouldn't go back. I mean, yeah. you know, within, after we had fully implemented it by the end of 2012, uh, it would have been, you know, it saved way too much labor to go back. But, and it's, it's amazing that you can, every email that's ever, come through our server is on that. I can mm -hmm. always go find, you know, something or a document or a bill or whatever. Um, and more and more vendors are, you know, emailing invoices or, or, you know, and directly to an accounts payable email that nobody has to actually look at till it's in the system. So there's, you know, it's interesting that y'all were able to, to do that. Um, and I think that's, 
you know, on the recruiting side, it's, it's just going to be really, you know, really key to, to figure out what your candidates want and where they are in their career and what they, you know, do, am I going to have the mentorship opportunities? Right. Uh, you know, and if I'm, if I'm sitting in my living room, 80% of the time, maybe I feel like I'm not going to get those mentorship opportunities, but, um, you know, it's just well, and some people don't want them. Right. Yeah. Some people, I just want to do this job and, and God bless them. I'm glad for those people because, you know, I need people to, tra- you know, I need to train analysts to do background checks all day and it's time consuming, tedious training. And if, if everybody wanted to, you know, do something bigger and different, it would be outrageously expensive for, to do what we do. Um, And so I need trained people. And so I'm glad, and we compensate them fairly and we make sure that we do everything like you that, you know, to incentivize them to stay, to be happy, um, to grow in however they want to grow. But it's, it's pretty challenging. So are you seeing that 50%, uh, are you seeing a 50% no-show rate on offers? I would say on offers. Yeah, if you've made an no, offer. No, I, I wouldn't say it's that high for us after offers. Um, again, we're trying to turn them around and literally the next day. So um, I think for us, it's really the pain point is the interview process. And we're definitely seeing, you know, we're being ghosted sometimes upwards of 75%. What do you attribute that to? They got another job. That's really what I, I mean, because if you have you agree to an interview and then you don't come in, we didn't do anything different. We didn't do right. anything wrong. We didn't have any further communication with you. So it's a choice that something changed in their, on their side. Yeah. And I think the, the idea that, you know, what happens too often is that employers drag that employment, that interview process out. And so, and if you're not following up with the applicant, I mean, it used to be the applicant's supposed to follow up with the employer with a handwritten thank you note after the interview. Those days have changed. I mean, if you do that, I tell every applicant, every everybody I know, especially young job seekers, do that. You write a handwritten note, nobody's ever seen one before, and they, they, they will remember you. You'll stand out a little bit. But I think employers need to start doing something along that lines, too. Like, hey, thanks for the interview. Here's what our process is from here. And this is a, a commitment that I'm willing to make as whether the recruiter or the hiring manager or whatever, I, I will follow up with you by this date and, and actually do it. Well, I think on our end, right, the question really is how long, how long has that application sat there? Because, you know, when we've looked at this kind of reporting prior to the last couple of years, you, a person could apply and they reasonably, reasonably expected that you would get back to them in two to three days. Now they're expecting within 24 hours. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't responded to them within 24 hours and acknowledge that you've received their application and that you're interested, they take that as you're not interested. So I'm moving on and I'm applying for a ton more jobs, which so then if we're coming back two or three days later and we're reaching out and setting up an interview, they might say yes, but they might have already interviewed with someone else. And so right. they're really just kind of going through the motions with us. Yeah, they're further in somebody mm-hmm. else's pipeline now. And whoever gets across that finish line first is going to get the offer. Now, hopefully they stick with that offer, but can you blame them if they get a better offer? No. Or, you know, if they accepted a job at some substandard restaurant in Austin and now Kirby Lane wants them, of course they're going to, you know, they're going to, you know, they're going to say, okay, well, that's, that's a good opportunity. And, and they're going to renege on, you know, renege is probably, that's the term they used in the, 
in the article. It's, I think that overstates it. I mean, you know, renege sounds like they're being dishonest. And I don't think it's a, I don't see that. I, they're doing what's in their best interest. And that's what I would ask for anybody who came to work for me. That's what I would expect for them. Well, and I still think it's their market, right? right? Like they are in demand. And so they're going to go where they perceive to be the best fit, the greatest offer and where they possibly might stay longer. And so if they, you know, showed up for us and then they disappeared, we can only assume someone beat us out. And that's one of the sessions here at HR Southwest was talking about the demographics of, of Texas and the U.S. We are not replacing entry-level workers uh, at the rate we need to be. And so there's, you know, even if we think the economy is slowing down, I, you know, and maybe the quit rate will go down, is going down, things like that, I still don't think um, we're going to, it's going to be an employee market or, you know, it's going to be the, you know, a pro labor market for, for quite a while. If, and you know, we got to do some serious stuff around immigration reform or something else, or start having a whole lot of babies and I'm done with that. Count me out. So, you know, I don't see us having, uh, solving that problem. So it's going to be, we, we need to start looking at the labor shortage, especially on frontline workers, entry-level jobs, things like that, especially as, the the reality this is not a, a temporary thing and oh you know post covid the economy is sorting out i mean i'm guilty of saying that a couple of years ago but now as we look at it and you compare the demographics this is the reality and mm-hmm. so we're we're going to need ai to to take some of those the burden off some of those jobs but we got to figure out how to be as a, employers how do we how are we the employer of choice to to get in 10 years ago a lot of companies weren't thinking about being employer of choice for entry level jobs, you know, I want to I want to attract these white collar, these high high skill, high experience candidates. But now, if you can't, if there's not somebody, whether you know, to uh, you know, unlock the doors first thing in the morning, or to greet customers as they walk in the lobby, or do whatever needs to be done, make your deliveries, those things. If there's not somebody to do that, you're out of business. So one last topic, the. Uh, and I like this is benefitnews.com, uh, but the no more crying at work, how to prevent a toxic workplace. And I just, you know, it's the old Tom Hanks. There's no crying in baseball, but one in five workers have experienced harm to their mental health at work. And first, and that's going to the American Psychological Association. Um, so 20% of people have had experienced harm to their mental health at work. My first question on whenever I read something like that is of that 20% are how many were already had some mental harm? I mean, how many of them were, you know, were going to be whatever you asked them to do was going to, you know, they, whatever environment you put them in, they were still going to feel like, you know, they weren't, you know, like it wasn't a healthy environment because for them there may not be, but, um, so having said that, and, you know, you know, that's almost me being the grumpy old man, get off my yard, you know, thing. But um, but that's up. 20, uh, 22% have experienced harassment in the workplace, and that's up from 14%. So we're going the wrong direction on that. What do you attribute that to? I mean, the and I, and I think it's not talking about sexual harassment, but I think it's probably just that harassment where, you know, I just, you know, we, you know, I have some disagreement with somebody that goes beyond professional and courteous, I guess, is maybe 
Well, I think that the social norms of what is okay in an like in employment and at your job are have drastically changed um, just in the last probably four to five years. I think the expectation is that now, you know, you need to be sensitive to any and all needs. And it's really hard to meet people with those needs. And especially if you don't know them. And so I think my question is, what, you know, what, what are we measuring here? Right? Like what is the causing, what are these triggers? What is the cause? What's, you know, making a person feel that way? You know, the other thing you talked about, well, was this person already possibly, had something going on in their life everyone has something going on in their life so the question is right as an employer in in my opinion the question is as an employer how are you helping that person to be the most well-rounded best version of themselves right so i talk about things like eap right do you have one does your team know about it do they utilize it um you know i think a huge thing for us has been childcare so much. One of the biggest shifts that we've seen in the restaurant is we went from having a 50-50 split, 50% male, 50% female workforce to having a significantly higher female workforce now. What do you, well, that's interesting. It is what, very interesting. What do you think causes that? I think that the traditionally male, specifically for back of house for us, which means, you know, your kitchen, um, I think that they have left a lot of those cook jobs and restaurant jobs and that they're doing apprenticeships. I think they're doing construction, electrical, HVAC. They're possibly moving in that direction instead of being a cook. Um, And I think more women are in the workforce than ever because I think it's more expensive than ever. You know, I look at Austin alone, cost of living is seven and a half percent in one year. Yeah. So they can't afford to be at home. They have to work. And so I think those those shifts have really impacted people's needs. And so that's why we've, you know, one of the things we looked at is how do we help them with childcare? How do we help them with, um, you know, if they need to have daycare stipends and, you know, what can we do to take some of those outside stressors off of them so that when they come to work, they can focus on work. And I wonder if that, that feeling, you know, that harassment is up. I mean, our whole society seems like in the last six years. Well, we're also a lot less civil. Oh yeah, to each other. And I wonder how much of it is just the you know our social zeitgeist is kind of has changed, and everybody is so entrenched in their their own position, their own identity about whatever, and if you disagree with me in this position or this way I live or whatever, then there's something wrong with you. And so if I'm this traditional belief of whatever, and you're all in my face about your less traditional, you know, different thing, I'm going to take this personally and you're causing me some sort of mental harm. Uh, and I, and, you know, we see that in our politics, we see it in, in our, in, you know, God help us social media. Um, and so I wonder how much of it is, is attributable to that. But like you say, as an employer, you know, it's, it won't work if we just say, can we all just get along? I mean, that's, you know, that used to be the way we would approach it. But like you said, EAPs. But I think training managers in conflict resolution, and that there's a whole bunch of here on, at HR Southwest, there are a lot of conversations around that in, in different sessions. And, you know, how do we train managers? We don't train managers, first of all. That's our biggest problem. Sure, Kirby Lane does, but, you know, somebody is really good at this job, so we're going to put them in charge of other people who do this job. 
and we don't train them how to do conflict management, right. how to coach and all that. So I think maybe that's, that's part of the issue too. And I'm sure in, in, in your industry, it's probably the norm. I think a lot of, and I'm sure there in a lot of, uh, of the hospitality uh, industry, um, there's, there are a lot of supervisors who they're the ones who would take the job or they're the ones who are available or something like that. So how do y'all avoid that when you're, when I, if I want to get, make somebody a real leader and not just somebody who's filling out the timesheets or, you know, right. setting the calendar. Well, I think there's a couple ways that we try to tackle that. I think one of those is we do train them, right? We have a lot of, um, empathy training, a lot of from one role to the next role type training when you get a promotion, because especially with us, I would say, I mean, I don't have the you know statistic today, but somewhere in the high 80s, low 90s, our management teams are promoted from within. So this is a person who came in as a host, a busser, a cook, a, you know, a server, and they've stayed with the company and they've kind of worked their way up. I can definitely tell you every single managing partner of all 10 locations all started at Kirby Lane. They didn't, we didn't hire them outside. Um, we haven't had great success with that. That's honestly been one of our um, weaker points, I think, is bringing an outside person in and, and them being successful in a higher ranking management role. Uh, and I think it's because when we, when we promote from within, they're really learning the culture of who we are and they're getting a really great understanding of what we will and we won't put up with, right? And, you know, one of our unspoken core values is, you know, I don't know if I can cuss on here, but I'm about to. Yeah. No assholes. Yeah. Plain and simple. If you are one, you're going to stick out. It's not going to work out um, because that's the culture that we have built. One of the things that I'm struggling with, right, is as we grow, how do we maintain that? And so that's, you know, why I come to conferences like this. Right. To figure out those sorts of how do I maintain our culture and make sure that we're training and keeping, you know, great leadership and our core values with that while we grow without losing ourselves. And y'all are central Texas, San Antonio to Austin and in that read round rock to, and so what will you, I mean, that's interesting because like, you know, I'm dying for there to be a Kirby lane in Fort Worth, hint, hint, but, but that would, that would create a challenge, right? To, to, fully staff oh, a restaurant. We already felt that. I mean, we opened San Antonio last year and that was the furthest one away from kind of our hub of where everyone's at. And we thought, okay, we'll take an existing managing partner that wants to go down there. We'll relocate him and his family and we'll be okay because he's the managing partner and he gets it and he's tried and he's true. Um, and he did a great job but he didn't have the team. And we've really seen that store struggle. Interesting. And so we're a year, we're a little over a year into it and we've had to bring in more existing people. And so like I'm sitting here today, very humbly saying, it's something we are still working on because when you're that far away and you're hiring that many from outside of the company, it's, we've lost some of that who we are culture. And we've seen our turnover at that location be more than double than all the others. Wow. So that's the impact of culture right there mm -hmm. then, right? And so how do we how do we grow? How do we duplicate what we've already done at these other locations, at this new location in a new market where just bringing in one leader is not enough? Right. 
Wow. And so we're basically trying to be there as much as possible, you know, whether it's, be, you know, an area director, whether it's, you know, our culinary director, you know, our ops team, our training teams, we're trying to get them down there as much as possible to try to get that store where we'd like it to be culturally. Interesting. So and it's not bad. No. no. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. If you, if you're in San Antonio and you want to work in a really great restaurant, it's delicious. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's just, it's culturally, we have a, we have a longer road culturally to go there. Interesting. Wow. Um, well, you know what, we're out of time. So, and, and it is the end of the day on day two of HR Southwest and whiskey and rye is right across the street. So it's time to go, uh, be adults for a little while. So, but thank you, uh, Roseanne for joining me. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening. You can comment on this episode or search our previous episodes at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcast. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and you can reach him at robmakespods.com. And thank you to Imperatives Marketing Coordinator, Marianne Hernandez, who keeps the trains running on time. And I'm Mike Coffey, as always. Don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week. And until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.